I guess we'd probably all agree that uh, Christmas is a time of expectation, right? For all you kids, I know you're, you're probably thinking about the gifts that you're going to open on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and you're waiting in anticipation and looking forward to those things. And, and for those of us that are a little older than that, our, our sense of anticipation and expectation might be a little different, right? We're, we're probably looking forward to watching our kids and, and our grandkids open up their presents and, and get to see those things. And that kind of expectation is great, but this morning we're going to be talking about a little different kind of expectation, and uh, it's the kind of expectation that Christmas brings to us in this world. I know right now that that a lot of you find it really hard to live in expectation because maybe you're going through some kind of difficulty in your life, some kind of trial. For some of you, it's a physical trial, maybe just Due to the impacts of aging, you know, the achy bones and all the stuff that we all experience, or maybe it's some disease, maybe it's some injury that you have, but you're going through, through some kind of physical trial in your life. I know at this time of year, a lot of you are going through emotional trials in your life, right? Especially those of you who have experienced the loss of a loved one around the holidays or, or maybe recently, and the holidays just kind of bring up those memories, and those are those are tough things to deal with. They're not easy. Some of you might be going right now through, through some spiritual trials or difficulties. Maybe, maybe you're just going through and, and experiencing some, some doubts in your life. Or, or maybe you're trying to deal with some specific sin that you're really struggling with. Or, or maybe it's just a matter you kind of feel spiritually dry and you feel like there ought to be more to your relationship with God. And then you think about that, on top of all that, on top of those things that we go through, we live in a world that's increasingly hostile to the things of God, right? And to the people of God, to those who would call themselves Christians or call themselves disciples of Christ, it's a really difficult thing. And in the midst of all that, God calls us to live a life of expectation, that we're to wait eagerly for the return of Jesus Christ. But my fear is that for those of us who are disciples of Christ, sometimes maybe we're doing that for the wrong reasons, right? Maybe we're just hoping Jesus will come back so that he's going he's to get us out of this world, that he's going to get us away from all these trials and difficulties, from the persecution and the opposition that we face, that somehow his return is some kind of just an escape from this world. But there is something better. He wants us to live in expectation of of spending eternity in His presence. Being with Him day after day, giving Him worship and praise. Learning directly at the feet of Jesus. And the song that we're going to look at this morning is a, a song that helps us to understand how we can live in that kind of expectation of the return of Jesus. Our current sermon series is going to wrap up this morning. We've been talking about these these first songs of Christmas. And each of these songs have been a call for us to respond to God in some way. And and we're going to see that again this morning. We're going to see that there is a better way, that there is a way that, that we can live in expectation and joy and hope of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. And just as we've done with all the songs throughout this series, we need to kind of set the background before we look at the song itself. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up 
to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading where we left off last week in verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll come back to that, that song here in just a moment. First thing we need to see here is that, that Mary and Joseph, that they fulfill the Jewish law here. And there's three important aspects of that law that they fulfill here in this passage. The first one is found in Leviticus chapter 12. And there in Leviticus chapter 12, we find that all male babies were to be circumcised on the eighth day. And that's exactly what takes place here in verse 21. The second thing that happened 33 days later was that if a, if a woman had a male child, the mother had to go to the temple for a rite of purification 40 days after the birth or 33 days after the, the circumcision that had occurred. And that's what's happening in verses 22 and 23. The third thing, which is found in Exodus chapter 13, is that, that parents were to present their firstborn male child before the Lord and to make a sacrifice to redeem that child. It comes from the, the account of the Exodus back there in Exodus chapter 13. And that's what's happening again in verses 22 and 23 here. So when you put all that together, we see that, that they're fulfilling all these things. Now, the, the circumcision could have been done anywhere. It was done eight days after Jesus was born. But the, the purification and the dedication of the baby, they had to be done in the temple in Jerusalem. And so we see all this is, is taking place here so that we, we see how, what's going on and that the, Jesus' parents are fulfilling all the law. And then we're introduced to this guy named Simeon. Simeon's a really interesting character. We don't know anything else about him except what we read in these verses that we just read this morning. But we can make some pretty good assumptions about some things that he did and, and some ways that he was able to live in his state of expectation that we can learn from so that we can also live with that same kind of expectation. It's interesting, Simeon's name means God has heard, which is really interesting because that's exactly what we see here. We see that in his life he gives, manifest, or gives proof that God has heard him. And this guy Simeon, he's probably an old guy. He's been sitting around the temple day after day watching as his parents bring their babies in wondering if today is the day that he's going to finally get to see the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Day after day, day after day, he goes into the temple. Will today be the day? Will today be the day? And he watches, and these people bring in their babies and dedicate them, and nothing happens. 
But he keeps doing it day after day after day. He never wears out. He never gets tired. He lives in this constant state of expectation of the Messiah coming. And then one day, a couple that looks pretty much like all the other couples that have come in over the years, maybe a little different, a young, a young woman with a, probably an older husband come in, and they bring this baby, and this time the Holy Spirit reveals to him that this is the Messiah. This is the one that he's been waiting for for all these years that it has finally come to pass. Oh, what joy. Can you imagine the joy he must have had finally after all these years, all these years of waiting, I finally get to see the Messiah. And then he takes, it says he takes the baby up in his arms. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as new parents, if you went to church and the pastor came in and just like picked up your kid without asking, it might be kind of a weird situation, right? But think about it. For Mary and Joseph, this is probably not a whole lot weirder than all they've seen over the last several months, right? Angels and, and all kinds of shepherds and all kinds of other stuff going on. So he picks up this child and he lifts him up and then he sings this song. And would you go ahead and read this song out loud together with me? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. This is a magnificent song. Not very long again like a lot of the songs that we've looked at. But there's so much here. And here's the main idea that I want us to to develop out of this song this morning, and that is that the song of Simeon, it's a call to unceasing expectation. A call to unceasing expectation. We see that here with with Simeon in this song that he sings, that, that there's so much joy, there's so much anticipation, there's so much expectation that he's had all his life, and he's lived his life in joy. And so this morning, what I want us to understand is is how we can do that too. I mean, we live in a world that's a lot like Simeon's world in a lot of respects. The Jews lived in a culture there where they were under the oppression of the Roman government. Roman government didn't like the Jews. Made a lot of laws that tried to prohibit them from doing the things that they were supposed to do in their religion. They were under oppression. And the religious system itself, it had been been corrupted. The religious leaders, so many of them, not all of them, but so many of them were in it for their own power. They were in it to get rich. Sounds a lot like today in some ways, doesn't it? That's why I'm so thankful for Simeon's songs, but he tells us here how that we can live with this unceasing expectation as we await the return of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find four things here in this passage that we can do to make sure that we live in this same kind of state of expectation that he did. The first thing that we have to do is we have to be grounded in God's Word. Have to be grounded in God's Word. It's amazing there that that there's so much here we see in the in the description as well as in the song of itself that indicates that 
that, that Simeon, that he was grounded in God's word. First, it tells us here, it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that might not sound real familiar to us, but that idea, that, that phrase, the consolation of Israel, it was a phrase that the Jews used to refer to the coming Messiah. And he'd been waiting for that Messiah. And this idea of the consolation of Israel, it actually comes from a passage in Isaiah. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people. That word comfort there, the Hebrew word that's translated comfort, it's the equivalent of the Greek word that's translated consolation here in Luke chapter 2. So comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. That's the real key here, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Here's the idea. Here's what the comfort was. The comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel, was that one day God would send a Savior into the world who would take care of their sins once and for all. Not, so they didn't have to keep going and making these sacrifices day after day, year after year. God would send His Son, a Messiah, who would do that. And because He was grounded in, in God's Word, Simeon understood two important aspects of God's salvation that were largely missed in the rest of the culture that day. The first one was this, that salvation is all God's doing. What does he say here? My eyes have seen what? Your salvation that you have prepared. He understood that salvation was not something that comes from us up to heaven, but something that comes from God down to us. That there's nothing that we can do to earn our way to God, Nothing we can do to, to earn His favor. Nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It's all God's work from beginning to end. It comes from the heavens down to us. And that's exactly what happened at Christmas, isn't it? That God's salvation came down from Him because it's 100% His work. The second thing we see here is that, that it's available to all people. Now, that was God's intention for, from the very beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And a lot of the Jews got that far, and then they, they, they kind of forgot the rest of the passage there. And so they just assumed that God, when the, when the Messiah came, he's coming just for the Jews. But he said this in, in Genesis chapter 12, and that great people, they're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And Simeon understands that here because he, he had an understanding of God's Word that, frankly, was beyond a lot of the religious leaders of his day. Because what does he say? Your salvation is available for all people. He said Jesus is coming as a light for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews. And so he understood these things about salvation. And unfortunately, in our world today, a lot of people never come to the Messiah because they're not grounded in God's Word. They have their own ideas about what salvation should be. They get those from the world around them, from other people, and they don't get them from, ground, from God's Word. But Simeon was so grounded in God's Word that it allowed him to have hope. 
And the same thing is true for us. When we read God's word, when we see his promises fulfilled time after time, we can be confident that Jesus is coming back again. And we might not know all the details, but there are some things that we can know for sure from God's word. We know that when he comes back again, that he's going to make things right. He's going to take the things that are crooked and he's going to straighten them out. But he's also going to bring judgment to those who have not put their faith in Jesus. So on one hand, that should be a great comfort to those of us who are disciples of Jesus. It ought to give us great hope and expectation. Because when Jesus comes back again, he's going he's to fix things, and then he's going to take us to be with him for eternity. I can't think of anything better than that. But it's also a sober warning to those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus because that very moment that Jesus returns, their fate for, for eternity will have been sealed. If they haven't already put their faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to be too late for them to do it then. So the first thing we have to do, we have to be grounded in God's Word. The second thing that if we want to live in this, this state of expectation, we have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Three times in this passage, it talks about how the Holy Spirit ministered in the life of Simeon. I think that's really interesting. We've talked about this before, but, but in the Old Testament, the way the Holy Spirit operated is, is different than it is today after the day of Pentecost, right? In the Old Testament times, and the times before Jesus rose to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to, to be with us, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit would come on a person for a period of time for a, a specific purpose. And then the Holy Spirit would leave. And that, that seems to be the case here. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit comes on Simeon for a period of time so that he understands that this little baby that's being brought to the temple, this is the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the Messiah. And, and I think that's what separates Simeon, frankly, from a lot of the other people of his day. And I don't know why God did that. I don't know why God didn't just give everyone the Holy Spirit. But, but it was only through the Holy Spirit that he had this proper understanding of the kind of salvation that God was going to bring. Now, for us, on this side of the cross, we have a great advantage. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives every day, 24 hours a day. He's living inside of us all the time. But here's the thing. He won't force his way upon it. He won't force us to listen to his guidance. He won't force us to be obedient to what he's telling us. So what, we, what do we have to do? We have to be, do like Simeon. We have to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. And at least part of that means that when we come to God's word, we ask God's Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into truth. That Jesus said that's one of the, the tasks that the Holy Spirit is going to have when he comes to this earth. He will guide you into truth. And it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us from going off the deep end like a lot of the Jews did in, in Simeon's day and having all these wrong ideas about what kind of salvation God was going to bring. And it's the same thing today. That's what keeps us from going off the deep end and making sure that, that, that we don't have wrong ideas about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We ask the Holy Spirit as we read His Word to guide us into truth. And we yield to that truth and we obey it. The third thing we see here, if we want to live in this state of expectation, is that we have to be humbled by God's grace. It says here that Simeon was righteous and devout. 
Let's tackle righteous first. Simeon was righteous. You know what? In the Bible, any time that God calls someone righteous, guess what? It's not because of anything they did. It's because God declared them to be righteous in spite of how they lived their lives. He declares them righteous because they have trusted in him, put their faith in him. We see this again. It goes all the way back to Abraham. It says Abraham believed God. He trusted in God, and God counted that to him as his righteousness. So, so Simeon, he, we're going to see in a minute, he was a pretty holy guy too, but, but the thing that separated Simeon from a lot of the other people of his day is I think he was humble enough to admit, yeah, God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And he trusted himself to God's mercy. He trusted himself to God's grace and humbled himself before God. And even though it's very likely that Simeon never got to see the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I think God declares him righteous here because he was willing to be faithful to the truth that had been revealed to him by God. Kind of like Abraham. Abraham didn't have the whole picture but he's still declared righteous. And I think the same thing here for Simeon. He's declared righteous because he's humble. He's willing to admit his sin. He's willing to admit he needs a Savior. And what I find in our world today, and and especially around Christmas time, there's a lot of people that are willing to, to worship a little baby in a manger and sing some Christmas songs and maybe even put up a nativity scene, but they're not willing to humble themselves before God and say, God, I'm a sinner, and God, I need your salvation. If they're willing to say, God, I'm a sinner, which they're probably not, then they'll say, but I'll take care of it on my own. God says, no. Remember, we just saw salvation is whose work? It's all God's work. It's not ours. So we have to be humbled by God's grace. And then finally, one last thing, we need to be growing in holiness. And that's where the word devout comes in. It's a really interesting word. It literally means to be cautious. And here's what I think's going on here. It's what, what Simeon is doing, he's living his life in a very cautious way. He doesn't want anything in his life to take away from God's glory. He's not thinking, hey, God, I can work my way to you, but he's thinking, hey, God, in light of the grace that you've poured out in my life, <coughs> excuse me, I want to live a holy life because I know that will bring glory and honor to you. And so he was devout. He lived this, this cautious life. He tried to do everything he could to develop and grow in holiness day after day. And that's exactly what we're called to do as disciples of Jesus as we await the return of Jesus. We're to grow in holiness day after day. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but, but I think the biggest reason is, guess what we're going to do for eternity? We're going to spend in God's presence, in a place that's 100% holy. So what's the best way to prepare for that then? We've got to live holy lives right now, shouldn't we? And that's exactly what Peter said. In 2 Peter, the, the question came up about, <coughs> excuse me, how am I to live in, <coughs> excuse me, in light of Christ's return? And here's what Peter writes. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. He's talking about how the earth is going to be dissolved, how a new heaven and earth is going to be created. What sort of people ought you to be? And here's the key. In lives of holiness and godliness. 
waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So are you growing in, in holiness as you await the return of our Savior? We've seen this morning that this song of Simeon, it's a call to unceasing expectation. That we're to live in this state of expectation as we await the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do today? What are you going to do this Christmas season that's going to help you to heed that call in the way that we've looked at this morning? What are you going to do about it? And before you answer that, let me close with a word of warning. Because after we see this song here, Luke goes on to record something that happens right after that. So you can continue reading with me here in Luke chapter 2. It says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here's the warning. You know, we think of Christmas as this time of, of unity, right? Let's all rejoice in peace on earth and goodwill towards men and And the birth of Christ is going to unite us all. But here's what Simeon, he says, no, the birth of Jesus, it's a sign. But it's a sign that Jesus came to this world to divide and to separate. And we see it here. That's what Simeon says. He says, for some people, they will see Jesus as who he is, as the Savior of the world. They will put their faith in him. He says there'll be only a few people in Israel that are going to do that. Most of them are going to reject him. But for the ones in Israel that do that, and for the ones in our culture today that do that, he says they will rise. But he says for those who reject that, for those who reject Jesus, and most of his fellow Jews were going to do that. As a matter of fact, some of them about 33 years later would be the ones they're yelling, crucify him. He says those who reject Jesus, whether they're Jews or anyone else, he says they will fall. And so the birth of Jesus, this event that we celebrate at Christmas, this this worship of a little baby in a manger, it's actually a dividing point for us in our culture. It calls us to put our faith in Jesus Christ because if we don't, we will fall. And he also relates to Mary, and this this must have been kind of shocking for Mary. He says, you know, one day your heart's going to be broken. Obviously referring down the road to the the crucifixion of Jesus. Your heart's going to be broken. And that's what it took for us to be able to have this great salvation that Jesus brought to us at Christmas. So Simeon reminds us that It's not just about Christmas, it's also about Easter. Because without Easter, Christmas really wouldn't have a whole lot of meaning, right? So it's this thing that that divides. So 
So let me ask you that same question again. What are you going to do today and this week and this month and this Christmas season to make sure that you heed this call? What are you going to do to make sure that you're grounded in God's Word? What practical steps are you going to take? What are you going to do to yield your life to the Holy Spirit, to listen to Him and to be obedient to Him? What are you going to do to be humbled by God's grace? And what are you going to do to make sure that you're growing in holiness? I want to encourage you, find just one practical thing that you can do. One thing that you can take away from here. If you don't do that, then then really this has been kind of a waste of time. And let me just, before we close, speak to those who might be with us either in person or online. I don't think there's many of you, but there might be some who have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to be humbled by God's grace and commit your life to Him, and we would love to help you to do that. Just let us know so that we can do that. So for the last four weeks now, we've looked at these first songs of Christmas. And I love this because they're so different, aren't they, than even that some of the, the, most of the Christmas songs we sing here, I think they tell the real story of Christmas. But if you turn on the radio, even some, some of the Christian radio stations, you're going to hear all kinds of songs that don't really express the true meaning of Christmas. But these four songs do. They're songs that call us, like Mary's song, to unselfish service. There's a song like Zechariah's song that call us to unwavering hope. There's a song like the songs of the angels that call us to undeserved peace. And they're like Simeon's song that calls us to unceasing expectation. My prayer for you and your family this Christmas season that in these songs you would find and you would celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these songs that we've looked at, especially for this one, Father. Simeon, man, he's such a great example, so applicable to all of us as we think about waiting for your return, Father, some practical things that we can learn here, and we're thankful for each one of those. I pray for each person here today, whether they need to turn their lives over to Jesus and commit their lives to Jesus for the first time, or whether they They need to take some action in their life to make sure that they're waiting with expectation and hope for the return of Jesus, that you would just lay upon their heart that which they need to do today. Pray for your Holy Spirit to do His work, to convict, to encourage, to rebuke where that needs to be done too, Father. And we'll give you all the glory as we see you work in each life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.